0: All right, Braves fans, let's get rolling. I am George McNair, and this is State of the Braves. Uh, It is really good to be back with you guys, uh, as it always is. And uh, it's also good that the Braves have won their last three games all against the New York Mets. You know, the Braves came into the series in New York, uh, I wouldn't say reeling, but definitely not playing their best baseball. A little bit sloppy and certainly not very good starting pitching as of late. Uh, But that has turned around uh, for the most part in this series The Braves have dominated the Mets in the first three games, outscoring them an amazing 34-3. to Um, It has not been necessarily a perfect showing for the Braves in all aspects, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But certainly uh, feeling better about things after three straight wins. Uh, Before this, the Braves played a pretty underwhelming series against Pittsburgh in which they split four games against the Pirates, a lot of bad starting pitching performances in that one. And really the Braves until this Met series were about a week, a week's worth of bad starting pitching performances. You basically have to go all the way back to Max Fried coming back and pitching a gym against the the Cubs. So, you know, it's, it's really good to win these three games. Uh, It's also very obvious uh, we haven't played the Mets in a while and certainly haven't played the Mets since the, the trade deadline. And, man, it is obvious that the Mets are a really weak team right now. They obviously sold off um, some of their best pitching, but also a few position players. A couple other position players are injured right now. And um, one particular game, the first game of the doubleheader that the Braves played, that Mets lineup was so weak. Uh, you basically had Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil and Brandon Nemo in there, and then everybody else was just uh, maybe a, a double-A, triple-A type of player. Um, so, you know, you do take you do take the Braves' good pitching performances in this series with a little bit of a grain of salt, or at the very least, with that perspective in mind. But you're still going up against Major League hitters, and the Braves, I mean, man, they were just... It had, it seems so long removed from the Braves pitching well, getting getting good starting pitching at least. And uh, so putting up some zeros and getting three straight wins against the Mets was uh, is just really good to see. And, and obviously the last game of the series is going to go on tonight, and hopefully the Braves will take that one. That, that one's a little more of a uh, challenging pitching matchup as the Braves have Yanni Chirinos, who struggled a, bu- a good bit in his three starts with the Braves going up against Kodai Senga, who's really been the the best Mets pitcher consistently this year. But yeah, the Mets' weak offense uh, is helpful against uh, a Braves pitching staff that has been struggling a bit lately. Uh, But these games have been very nice for the Braves as the bullpen finally gets a little bit of a break. Uh, This offensive explosion has just been uh, pretty fun to watch, especially... The first game of that uh, doubleheader in which the Braves scored 21 runs. The Braves right now have outscored the Mets 34-3 to in this series. That's a big number. Um, and three straight games. Not only winning these games, but tighter defense being played. Uh, no errors in these three games. Uh, better base running. Uh, there just seemed to be a lot of mistakes in the field and on the bases over the last couple weeks. And I don't know if that is a symptom of just you're in August and, um, you know, the dog days of summer sort of thing, or, uh, maybe the Braves being this, this far, uh, you know, this far ahead in the, um, in the East and maybe relaxing a little bit too much. There's any number of things that, I mean, these guys are human and, and maybe it took a few struggles to get them to refocus a little bit more and hopefully they'll start playing, uh, solid winning baseball in all aspects moving forward. But, you know, despite the Braves being just over 500 since the All-Star break, they have actually expanded their lead in the National League East uh, with that. They now sit 11 games up on the Phillies, uh, and all is right with the world for sure. Now, if you are still feeling a little nervous about the Braves and where they are in the division, uh, even with them being up 11 games, let me remind you a couple things had to do some math for this episode, which is a little bit of a, you know, a danger zone for me, but I'm going to try to, hopefully I'm correct in all of this. Uh, You can check me if you really want to, some of you math nerds out there, but if the Braves go 500, the rest of the way, that would put them at 98 and 64 for the season. The Phillies would have to go 33 and 11, the rest of the way to tie the Braves for the division. Now 33 and 11, I mean, uh, Uh, 75% win percentages is pretty difficult to get to. Uh, They would have to really go on a tear to get there. So is it impossible? No. But again, that's with the Braves just basically playing the way they played um, since the All-Star break. And hopefully they will uh, get it back into gear a little bit here. Uh, But even at 500, the Braves win 98 games. Uh, if the Braves go 600 the, the rest of the way, they get to 103 uh, wins. So 103 and 59 would be their record. The Phillies would have to go uh, pretty much impossible 38 and six. I mean, I just can't imagine the, the best team ever doing that. Even the Braves, when they went on that crazy June run, they didn't extend it beyond you know much beyond that. So I don't think the Phillies are going to go 38 and six the rest of the way. So if the Braves are able to you know, 600 is actually be uh, below what they've done for the season, uh, but it's still obviously very much in their uh, within the realm of possibility that they could kick things back into gear and play at that level the rest of the way. Again, that would get them to 103 wins. At one point during the season, they were on pace for much more than 103 wins, and you know they have slowed down uh, here in July and August, but um, that's Not to take away from what they've been doing and the fact that they are still, they still have an incredibly comfortable lead in the National League East right now. I mean, honestly, they really probably don't need to be worried about the Phillies. What they maybe need to be worried about is getting that top seed in the playoffs for the National League. There are obvious benefits to that, Uh, but we also know that being healthy is is incredibly important. So you want to push for the best record in the National League, get that top seed. But you can't do that at the expense of uh, keeping your healthy uh, guys healthy. And I think some of the things we've seen from Brian Snicker and how he's dealt with the bullpen and some of the decisions that the Braves have made have been with health in mind. Um, doesn't mean that some of those decisions aren't a little frustrating. You know, you seem to have a win um, within your grasp. Maybe you're down one or two runs and and he sends in you know, the, the worst guy in the bullpen and and things get a little out of hand, but there are some methods to what he's doing. And I think a lot of times it has to do with health. Again, that doesn't mean it's not frustrating um, at times, but I think Snicker actually gets probably a little too much flack for how he manages the bullpen. It's, it's a near impossible task anyways, not saying he's perfect with it. There's definitely some decisions he makes, that I disagree with, but, um, but look, Snicker has so many positives in terms of how he manages this team uh, and how he gets them ready every day. Um, his, his kind of calm, Bobby, Bobby Cox like personality. Um, I think we can be very thankful that Brian Snicker is our manager. Uh, okay. So let's go through these first three games of the Mets series. Game one, the Braves win that game seven to nothing. And this was a really weird game, actually a very unique game in Major League history, believe it or not. So Charlie Morton uh, started in this one. He really needed a good um, a good outing. And the good news is he goes five innings and gives up no earned runs, no runs at all, um, only three hits in those five innings. The bad news is he walked an incredible seven guys, seven Mets walked in just five innings. Uh, if you watch this game, Morton was all over the place. I I ended last podcast episode talking about Morton and Elder and telling you guys that while I'm not um, I'm not panicking, I am a little concerned about them and their performance. And I would say that this performance from Morton leaves me a little more concerned. Actually, even though he didn't give up any runs, I would suggest that that has more to do with the Mets' futility than Morton being, you know, maybe you could say, a lot of people would say that he was effectively wild. I don't really know that he was effectively wild in this one. He certainly made enough pitches to get out of jams. He had a ton of base runners uh, in this game. But if you watch Charlie Morton and his body language and what was going on uh, when he was pitching, he was clearly frustrated, and I would even use the word lost at times on the mound in this one and that is not a good feeling he obviously has uh, has had some struggles already with walks and this highlighted it even that much more clearly he's not figured out whatever is going on with him mechanically Um, over his last 27 and two-thirds innings pitched he has walked now 22 batters that is an extreme walk rate that you just cannot continue to do, especially against better teams. I mean, it's really, I don't even really need to say that out loud. Um, and Charlie Morton knows this. I, you know, it's not like he's just walking out there and pitching and not, not really worrying about what's going on. He clearly knows that this is an issue, and it really hasn't been a, a huge issue for him in his career. So it's outside of the norm for him, and it's clearly something that needs to be fixed. Uh, and he's got to do it because I'm getting more and more certain that while Bryce Elder might figure things out and be better the rest of the way, I really think Charlie Morton needs to be the number three pitcher for the Braves. He obviously has the best stuff of, of anybody beyond Max Freed and Spencer Strider. Uh, the Braves need him to get it right uh, for them to have success in the postseason. Uh, this game was uniquely weird in Major League history. It was the first time in modern history a team had walked nine or more times and gotten seven or more hits and not scored. So um, that happened. The Mets were shut out in this game despite getting um, getting walked nine times and getting seven hits. On the brave side of things, Austin Riley had a really nice game, three hits including a home run. Eddie Rosario also had a little bit of a bounce-back game since Eddie has been kind of quiet as of late. He got two hits and also had three RBIs in this one, so it was nice from Eddie. Um, he's kind of been quiet. Uh, I think he's gotten maybe a hit in in each of the next two games, but been pretty quiet otherwise in this series. But it would be really nice to get him red-hot again, as he can do at times. All right, game two of this series was the opener of the doubleheader uh, Saturday. And, man, this was a really fun one to watch. Um, this was the second start, second career start for Alan Winans. He gets the call up. You guys might know that in um, in doubleheader games, teams are allowed to carry a 27th man. And so and they can do that without any penalty of any kind of call-ups or service time. So the Braves called up Alan Winans to be their 27th man for this start. And, boy, did he come up big. Uh, Even though technically Charlie Morton, you know, he didn't allow a run in five innings, it's hard to say that that was a really quality start uh, by any means. So Alan Winans gives the Braves seven shutout innings um, for really their first good start in over a week. And this just felt massive to me for, obviously it's great for Winans. I mean, it's an awesome career moment for him to get his first big league win in this fashion. But it just felt really big for the Braves to finally have a starter go out, give them a bunch of innings, uh, and shut a team down. I don't I don't even care if it is a bad Mets lineup, and this Mets lineup was really bad. But Winans went out, uh, again, seven shutout innings, striking out nine. And he's not known to be a huge strikeout guy, but he's been, and I think I mentioned this last episode, he's been pitching really well at AAA. He's had a good season at AAA. A. There's nothing in his uh repertoire of pitches that tells you he's a dominant pitcher. Uh, you know, his his fastball sits about 90-91, but he does have a very good change up, and it was particularly working well in this game. So it's uh, just a huge shout out to Alan Winens in this one. Excuse me while I take a drink of coffee. I love coffee by the way, guys. I'm a huge coffee guy, so um do that do that every now and then to get me a pick me up. But, um, Alan Winans way to go, man. And you know, the, uh, the broadcast team made this point. And I didn't, I didn't know this obviously about him that, uh, in the off season, um, as a minor leaguer, he has also served as a substitute teacher. His wife is also a teacher at a school. I think he lives in California and, uh, they said, you know, the students call him Mr. W. So I, That is a great name for any pitcher, you know, a great nickname. I hope that sticks. Mr. W gets the W in this one. And, um, man, did he earn a rotation spot with this spot start? Uh, Maybe it takes more than one good start to do that. But considering the Braves' recent starting pitching struggles, I certainly think he should get another start. I hope he does. Um, And who knows, maybe this could be a huge moment for the Braves. Uh, in their final two months of the season, uh, finding another solid pitcher to give them some good outings. I mean, I'm I'm not expecting Alan Wynans to come in and throw shutouts every time out, but considering what the Braves have gotten recently from their starters, um, it would be I think really good to see him out there again. This is also considered the Nicky Lopez game. So as much as Wynans pitched great, you know the Braves scored 21 runs in this one. And uh, Nicky Lopez was a huge uh, reason for that. He got the Braves uh, scoring started early, had a nice hit the other way, actually had a couple nice singles early, and then you're already happy with that. And then he finished the game hitting a three-run homer. Now, it was off of a position player. The Mets basically, you know, um, it's funny to me when when managers throw out position players and when they choose to do it, but Buck Walter chose to do that. Uh, in the eighth inning, or sorry, I think the ninth inning, and Nicky Lopez just hammered a home run. So he ended up with four hits, and I saw this note after the game. It is the first time in modern Major League history that a player has had four more hits, five or more RBIs, a home run, and pitched a scoreless inning in a Major League game. So it's uh, so Nicky Lopez ended the game also on, on the mound and pitched a scoreless inning to end the game. Uh, saving the bullpen that much more. So Winans gives the Braves seven innings. I think Tonkin came in for an inning, and then Nicky Lopez ended it. And this was also Nicky Lopez's first start for the Braves since coming over from the Royals. So, man, he just had an awesome, fun game. Uh Just um, huge props to him. Really, really fun to watch that happen. And uh, I think he's fit right in with the Braves and, uh you know, their their clubhouse, and he, he gets high marks for that sort of thing. Uh, even before, obviously, it, it had to feel good for him to contribute on the field because he's been with the Braves now a couple weeks at least and hasn't been able to get into a game, so it was cool to see that. The Braves also got six home runs in this game. If you score 21 runs, you're probably hitting a few. So they had two home runs for Matt Olson as he continues. Guys, I'm going to talk more about Matt Olson in this Episode, but he continues to just absolutely rake. Austin Riley has also continued to be really hot since the All-Star break. He hit one. I mentioned Nicky Lopez getting one. Ozzy Albie's had one, and then Sean Murphy also uh, actually hit the apple in center field um, against the Mets in the in the pouring rain. And it was really good to see Murphy get one too because he has been struggling a bit offensively. He actually got put down in the order to the seven-hole in this. Game and uh, maybe it'll let him relax a little bit, and uh, it's it's good to see him smoke a home run, his 19th, which I think is also a career high for him. So hopefully that will get him going a little bit more. All right, game three of the Mets series, the Braves were able to win this one uh, in the nightcap of the doubleheader, six to nothing. Spencer Strider was the pitcher in this one, and he bounced back. Remember, he struggled. Mightily actually had a really short outing against the Pirates last time out. He bounces back for seven shutout innings of his own. So the Braves in the uh, in the doubleheader get two seven inning starts from their um, from their starting pitchers. Man, this was needed for that bullpen and getting them some rest. Ozzy Albie's uh, had a tremendous two games. He actually had a home run and six RBIs in the first game. He gets another home run, two more RBIs in the second game. You also got a two-run double from Ozuna that was pretty big late in the game to uh, to extend the lead, and the Braves end up cruising. But, I mean, this one was pretty close for a while. Jose Quintana pitched for the Mets and held the Braves to, I think, only one run through six innings. But after he was out of the game, the Braves were able to tack on a few more. And, of course, they have won all three of these games. So... Hoping, hoping, hoping that the Braves are going to finish this out and get a four game sweep versus the Mets. Um, you know, it's okay to be a little greedy with, with that sort of thing, I think, at this point. And um, you know, can don't mind bearing the Mets too, even when they're, even when they're down for the count. You could see Pete Alonso, by the way, super frustrated, banging his helmet in the dugout uh, near the end of the, this last game of the night uh, yesterday. I'm sure it has been an incredibly frustrating uh, season for him and really for all of the Mets. All right, let's talk a little bit more about the big four in the Braves lineup, and those are the guys who have played all, uh, well, I'd say every game, uh, and maybe all 162 games this season of all things go uh, as they have, have been. In Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, Austin Riley, and Matt Olson, uh, they've been getting more and more, national attention. Uh, MLB Network's been talking about them more. Uh, I know ESPN has also picked this up as all four of these guys are having tremendous seasons. And one of the big news pieces is that all four of these guys have played every game. And that is very outside of the norm of baseball and really all major sports nowadays. Uh, And it's something that I certainly appreciate a lot about um, the Braves in general is that they're their starters and their best players play every game. Uh, let me tell you something. As a, as a fan who traveled from Virginia down to Georgia for two games, it is awesome to go to a game and know with very little doubt that the best players on your team are going to play and you're going to get to see them play. Uh, you, you brace fans, I mean, maybe you don't realize this. You probably do, but uh, most teams it's not that way. You could go to a game and your your favorite player sits and what's the reason? Because they need a little breather? Uh, you know, I don't know. But but I really appreciate the fact that the Braves' best players post every day and play at a, an incredibly high level. Uh, the night game last night was on Fox, and you had Smoltz, uh, John Smoltz in there talking um, about and, – and I thought he made – it wasn't necessarily his point, but he was mentioning that – Brian snicker made one point about his best players playing every day. And I thought it was interesting. It was basically that, uh, you know, they play better. They play at a higher level. They play, um, and are prepared to play every game. And, um, and that baseball is kind of meant to be played every day as a position player and team, you know, players tend to play their best, uh, when they play every day. Uh, Unless, of course, there's true injury and then then obviously you need to sit out a little bit. But, you know, the Braves and these four guys particularly are seeming to prove that that is true. Um, You know, the impact on performance, um, Snicker's argument is that there's a positive impact on performance to play every day. You know, this whole thing with load management, I really roll my eyes a lot at the idea of load management. I think it's actually pretty bogus. Uh, and really bogus across all sports, but particularly baseball. Uh, it's really annoying to me how prevalent it's become in basketball as well. I'm not—I'm a, a huge basketball fan. I'm not a huge NBA fan, but I just hate the idea of professional sports—you know—players who make millions of dollars um, just sitting out games when they're not injured. Um, the biggest issue I have with it, even though I think there's a lot of reasons they should be playing but the biggest issue again is fans and particularly kids you know kids who go to a game uh with their parents you know the parents paid and and bring a kid to a game and then your favorite player is sitting on the bench and not playing and I just think that is I just think it's wrong honestly um and I I think this does matter to the Braves and and these guys and it's not the only reason I think they play every game but I think uh, load management, particularly in baseball, is bogus. Baseball is a game that really is meant to be played every day. And position players uh, can play it even when they have some nagging injuries going on. Performance might be down a little bit at times because of those things. Um, And again, there are going to be injuries that will truly keep you out. So I'm not saying guys should just push through all of those. Uh, But I think there is... um, a real thing about, you know, showing up for the fans, but also, you know, what Snicker's saying is there's actually better performance in baseball when you play every day. And, um, these guys are certainly doing that. Um, so that being said, I just, again, I have a huge amount of respect and appreciation for these four. And of course, most of the Braves, uh, do play every day. They have regulars that go out there and, um, and play every day. So you know, MLB uh, Network recently actually brought up the fact that the Big Four here—Acuna, Ozzy, Riley, and uh, Olson—could be the first group in Major League history to all have 35 home runs and 100 or more RBIs. No foursome, in uh, as far as teammates go, have ever done that in baseball history. Uh, that's pretty awesome. And we know that they are all having tremendous seasons. Um, all four are in the top 15 in Major League Baseball in slugging percentage. Uh, Olsen's actually at the number two spot, uh, just below Otani, and Acuna's at the number five spot in slugging percentage. And then also all four are in the top 25 in OPS, with Acuna being third and Olsen being fourth. We uh, we also know that Ronald Acuna has been talked about as the MVP favorite pretty much all year, and Matt Olson's name is being tossed around some now as well as he's gotten hot in Nellie's Major League Baseball in home runs. I wanted to go through some projections of where the big four stand currently in terms of, you know, just projecting out their numbers for the season all the way through, um, and where they might finish up. I think that's kind of fun to do. So let's let's get started with that. Ronald Acuna. All, thing, all things stay the same. Would finish with 36 home runs and 99 RBIs. So he is very much, and of course, being a leadoff hitter, maybe you get a few less opportunities to drive in runs. Though that might not be totally true with the Braves, but uh, 99 RBIs. Obviously, he's on the on the line there. Um, Fangraphs has a different way of projecting. Uh, a lot of it is also due to um, prior seasons and prior performance. So Fangraphs doesn't do RBIs, but they do project Acuna to finish with 35 home runs. And then Acuna is also on pace for 75 steals. Just throw that out there. So, um, again, basically on pace for 35 or 36 home runs. And of course, we're not talking about steals with these other guys, but I just want to throw that out there. 75 stolen bases. I think he's still very much the MVP favorite. Maybe if he were to drop off in the last month and a half, um, Matt Olson or Freddie Freeman would overtake him, but I, I don't see that happening. He's been incredibly consistent this year. Uh, Ozzie Albie's is on pace for 39 home runs and 125 RBIs. Fangraphs uh, thinks it's more like 36, um, but man, Ozzy hit two. You know, in the last two games, he's looked really good, and he, Ozzy, does not look like a 40 home run man, but he is knocking on the door of that. Austin Riley, um, also on pace for 39 home runs and 105 RBIs. Uh, Fangraphs thinks he'll be right around there at 38 or 39. And then, of course, Matt Olson. Um, He is on pace for for 58 home runs and 146 RBIs, just having a tremendous season, uh, a really historic season in terms of Braves' first baseman. Fangraphs thinks he's going to slow down a little bit, hit 54 home runs. That would still be a Braves all-time record. Of course, Andrew Jones has the record with 51. Uh, I'm, I'm even wondering because of how hot he's been lately, is 62 in reach? You know, that was such a huge bit of news for Aaron Judge last year, and he got there right at 62 home runs. And Matt Olson has done it kind of differently as he's gotten hot in the second half. But guys, let me let me make an argument for how this could happen. Well, number one, I think if if Olson could get with, if he could get around 50 home runs going into September, it becomes a real possibility. Uh, since the All Star break, he has homered in about he's had about one home run in every two games. Okay, that's a incredible pace. There's 46 games to go, so this is simple math here, right? That would be a pace of 23 more home runs for Matt Olson which would get him to 65. Now, am I pre- predicting that he will hit 65 home runs? No, but I'm telling you that if he were to continue the pace he's been on since the uh since the All-Star break, it is within the realm of possibility. No one seems to be talking about that yet, but um look, if he pops several more home runs in the matter of a couple weeks, um and and maybe approaches 50 before September 1st then it's probably going to become a bigger story we'll we'll see how that happens the way he's been going i i really actually wouldn't doubt it so you know i don't know that i've given matt olson enough love and respect this season i've i've certainly brought him up and he's been tremendous in this second half uh but i did want to talk about him a little bit more uh, again he's he's already at 42 home runs which is a career high. He's already at over a hundred RBIs, and here we are. Only what is this? August. We are in. We're August thirteenth. Already at one hundred and five RBIs. Um, the season's not over, but he is on pace to have one of the greatest seasons in terms of first baseman in Atlanta Braves history, and not just Atlanta Braves history, but all of Braves history, which is really long. <laughs> if you didn't know that. So, you know, this sent me down a little bit of a rabbit trail that I wanted to share with you guys. I started to think, what is the single greatest season in a, a Bray's first baseman has ever had? So I'm going to give you guys a few. Um, and I think one stands out, but but let's go through all of these. And uh, some of them you probably are familiar with and maybe a couple you aren't familiar with. So the, the first I wasn't familiar with, I knew he was a Bray for a bit. Uh, But he is Felipe Alou. Felipe Alou was with the Braves for several seasons. His 1966 season, uh, he played a majority of his games at first base. He led the league in hits, runs, and total bases. And he finished fifth in the National League MVP vote. So that was 1966. Um, If you didn't know, Hank Aaron also spent about two years at first base for the Braves. They mustn't have been just weak at first base or something and this was near the end of his career. Uh, so remember they were saving his legs a little bit too, but he actually probably had his greatest offensive season ever playing first base. So this was in 1971 and this is these numbers are insane. So let me let me share them with you. Uh Hank Aaron hit 327 he led the league in slugging percentage at 669, which is a, an insane number. His OPS was uh, 1,079, which is also an insane number. And he had an OPS plus of 194, which is off the charts. Uh, he hit 47 home runs that year, uh, and he was also 37 years old when he did all this. You guys know that part of Hank Aaron's greatness was how um, how incredible he was late in his career but this was probably his single greatest offensive year somehow he did not win the MVP that year I have no idea I should have looked at who who did win because I I don't know how he didn't win based off of these numbers Uh, but just a tremendous season from Hank Aaron Fred McGriff uh, his greatest brave season was in 1994 which was the shortened season he hit 318 with 34 home runs He had uh, an OPS of 1,012. Again, anything over 1,000 is just insane. And uh, he had an OPS plus of 157. Andres Galarraga, um, which, you know, he didn't play for many years for the Braves. Always loved Galarraga, which is a tremendous hitter. In 1998, he hit 305 with 44 home runs, which is the record for first baseman for the Braves, which Olsen is close to breaking. He had 121 RBIs that year, and he had an OPS plus of 157. You'll hear 157 one more time here. Uh, Somehow it was a very um, common number for Atlanta first baseman. All right, Freddie Freeman. Actually, it was incredibly hard to choose Freeman's greatest season as a Brave. We know Freeman was incredibly consistent. And he had a lot of really good seasons. The other thing about Freddie, and this is why he was so underrated for so many years, he didn't lead um, baseball in any single category very often. uh, But he was near the top five in, in a lot of categories very consistently. So anyways, I chose 2016 as his greatest single season, even though, of course, he won um, he won the MVP in 2020, but obviously that wasn't a full season, so I I shelved that one. 2016, he hit 302 and he had 335 total bases, which is the most total bases he's had in any single season. He also had a 157 OPS plus in this season, and he remember he did this with basically. No protection in the lineup. He was on a terrible team. That was the last really bad Braves team. They won 68 games that year. That was the year that Snicker took over as manager. You could also make an argument that 2017 was Freeman's greatest season. That was the year that he got uh, his wrist broke, um, and then he moved over to third base for a few games. Y'all remember that? And his numbers are tremendous in that season, especially considering He played a lot of games with a healing wrist that had just been broken. Um, But I chose 2016. So anyways, Matt Olson, of course, this season, just as a repeat, he is on pace for 58 home runs, 146 RBIs. Uh, He currently has a 614 slugging percentage. His OPS is just under 1,000 at 993. And he has currently a 160 OPS plus. So, Matt Olson, you know, look, the season's not over. These are just on-pace numbers. But he has a chance, uh, in my mind, to have the second greatest first base season in Braves history just under Hank Aaron's 1971 season. Uh, and he obviously has a very good shot at breaking the Braves' all-time home run record, which is Andrew Jones's at 51. So Matt Olson, if you guys, you know, haven't been appreciating him, um, he had tough sledding coming in, replacing Freddie Freeman. Uh, that's been talked about to death. So I'm not going to get into that, but, uh, I certainly have gained a tremendous amount of respect for him and he's proven on the field, which just, you know, you give a lot of credit to Matt Olson and what he's done. All right, guys, well, the Braves are going into the final game of this season in New or see uh, this series, sorry, in New York. Like I said, the Braves go up against Kodai Senga, uh, who is eight and 8-6 with a 3-2-4 ERA. So this is going to be a tough pitching matchup as they're throwing Yanni Chirinos, who had just a super rough outing against Pittsburgh in his last start. Uh, hopefully it goes a little better for him and the Braves can get the sweep. Um, you know, I think in terms of Chirinos, I really think what the Braves are doing is trying to ride him to September 1st. You know, this is when September call-ups can happen. The Braves likely will call up two players. I don't know who those will be, uh, and what impact it will have on the roster. But it makes sense to me that they're trying to get as much as possible out of Torino's. They could try to send him down. Uh, He does have options, but he, uh, being a um, a veteran, he could refuse to be sent down and become a free agent. So I don't know if they would try to do that um, and what would happen there. So I think they're going to try to throw him as many times as possible. And from start to start, it will be, you know, a wait and see. Uh, If he throws another clunker, I think he could be gone. And particularly against, like I've already mentioned, this Mets lineup right now is pretty weak. So if he really struggles, I do wonder if the writing might be on the wall for him. Uh, I've already mentioned, he certainly pitched in a way that seems to, to show that he deserves to be in the rotation, uh, at the very least in the short term and, and see how he goes start to start. I've mentioned several times. I wonder if AJ Smith Schaufer might be another option in the rotation down the stretch. You guys know that Kyle Wright is working hard to get back. I really wonder if he would be back in the rotation, uh, this year, you know, the timing is rough where it might be mid-September before he could really get back, and that might not be enough time for him to prove himself before the playoffs. So I really wonder if they might try to just get him stretched out enough to be in the bullpen and be a weapon there for the playoffs. Um, we'll see on that one. And then the final guy that I didn't mention last podcast episode, uh, for an option uh, starting is, of course, Michael Soroka. And, you know, I didn't mention him because I am really starting to read the Braves as, you know, they yo-yoed him back and forth between the big leagues and AAA several times this year. And I don't think they really wanted to do that. And I wonder if they have some regrets that they did that to begin with. I don't think they want to yo-yo him back and forth anymore. I also think there are some very specific things that he needs to fix, um, and I don't think that they want to br- want to bring him back to the big leagues before those issues are fixed. Uh, you know, his control, the fact that you know his command with his fastball and and um, sinker and slider are all kind of spotty right now. Um, he's had some good starts at Triple A, but you know, I'm trusting the Braves that. If he's not up, there's reasons for it. And, you know, you, you could argue he's he's better than Chirinos, certainly, right? Um, but I don't think the Braves view Michael Soroka as a fifth starter and that they're just going to be happy with him coming in and throwing five innings and allowing four runs. I think they really want to get him as close back to what he used to be as possible. And um, so I think that's why he's in Triple I think he's trying to work through that stuff to get back to being an elite pitcher. And from what we've seen so far, he's clearly not there yet. Uh, so I don't know if we're going to see him uh, this season. Maybe he's one of those September call-ups. Uh, I'm really kind of hoping uh, that the next time we see him, he's fully back to being Michael Soroka, um, the dominant pitcher that he was early in his career. Um As far as other September call-ups to look for, Vaughn Grissom has continued to hit really, really well at AAA. Um, And him being on the postseason roster would make a ton of sense to me. Um, And coming up September 1st would make a ton of sense for Vaughn Grissom. So he might be offensively another option for someone we might see. Uh, But that's it, guys. I I hope you've enjoyed this episode of State of the Braves. Man, even though the Braves pitching staff has struggled some, it is just a reminder that our offense is historically great, and uh, hopefully it continues. Hopefully Matt Olson can flirt with some history here um, by the end of the season, and um, I would love Ronald Acuna, of course, to, uh, to earn that MVP. But Olsen uh, has certainly gotten a little bit into the conversation, too, uh, so that makes it super interesting. All right, guys. Well, again hope you enjoyed this episode. It was great to be with you and I'll talk to you soon.